Hey, welcome to Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. Man, it's so great to have you today. Man, we appreciate our listening audience here on the sports medicine radio show, Docs and Jocks. My name is Dr. Dan, longtime sports medicine physician with Texas Sports Fine, where I do basically what I do on air. I do during my day job at Texas Sports Fine, and that is uh, really seeing patients with knee, hip, shoulder, back issues, and we talk about what's going on with those, and we do that here on the show, but we do it from a sports entertainment standpoint. So maybe it's a Cavs player that's had an injury uh, that you want to know about. Maybe it's uh, your favorite football team. Uh, maybe it's the Dallas Cowboys. We'll talk about some of those injuries or the biggest name in baseball right now, Clayton Kershaw having back injuries again. Those types of things are what we're going to talk about here on Docs and Jocks. Remember, you can follow us on iTunes by going to our Docs and Jocks podcast there, D-O-X-N-J-O-X. Follow us anytime, anywhere, as well as you can follow our show on DocsandJocks.com, D-O-X-N-J-O-X.com. And uh, follow our show on our website there and learn more about myself as well as my co-host, Ferris Potter. He is the sports broadcaster for Grand Canyon University out in sunny Phoenix, Arizona. Joins me each week here my co-host as, as my co-host here on Docs and Jocks. Ferris, I look forward to the show today. I'm excited, too. I know everybody's pumped up about Stanley Cup and uh, NBA Finals, but the real sport. College World Series it's baseball happening. is going, and the and the softball College World Series in full swing. We're going to talk uh, to a former uh, College World Series uh, champion, World Series champion, Paul Janish, who went on to play in the big leagues with the Orioles and several Major League Baseball teams. He's going to be coming on to talk a little college baseball and what's going on with uh, the big names. And, uh, man, we've got some just kicking off and getting some fun uh, College World Series talk going on here on Docs and Jocks. We're also going to be talking to uh, Shannon Box. She is the uh, probably in the top five all-time greatest women's soccer players to ever play the game. Uh, she has won a World Cup. She has won three gold medals with the U.S. Uh, national women's team, as well as she won a college soccer championship with the University of Notre Dame. They are coming to town, uh, Abby Wambach, uh, Christy Rampone, and uh, Shannon Box are coming to Abilene and have the um, Big honor of actually do, do hosting and doing a emceeing their banquet. I'm going to get to talk to them about 40 minutes. So we were going to talk about that and more here on Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. Hey, remember, once again, you can follow us anytime, anywhere. The other thing I want you to know is you can contact us with your question. Let's say you maybe have a hip or knee, a shoulder, a back issue. Uh, you can call us and or actually email us by going to docsandjocks.com. Hit the contact button there, and you are able to let us uh, know your question, and we'll try and work that into the a program as well. Hey, we'll be right back with more Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show, after this short commercial break. You're listening to Guy Talk, live from the Sport Clips Haircuts locker room. Caller, you're on the air. <sighs> My girlfriend beat me playing one-on-one. Ooh, sounds like you need to hit up a Sport Clips for an awesome haircut experience and some quality man time. I don't my girlfriend always takes me to her salon. Nonsense. Be your own man and get a great haircut in a guy-friendly place from stylists who know what guys need. You may be right. Sure I'm right. Now grab your Y chromosome, get down to Sport Clips, and ask for the MVP. Sport Clips. It's good to be a guy. No one burns calories like Firehouse Subs. Introducing our hearty and flavorful under 500 calorie menu. Steaming hot sriracha beef, hook and ladder light, turkey cranberry, and more. Six new subs, four new salads, overflowing with flavor under 500 calories. And starting at only $5.49. Under 500 calories never tasted so hearty and flavorful. Firehouse Subs. One bite, one taste, you're hooked. Hey, welcome back to Docs and Jocks. This is Dr. Dan, your longtime sports medicine physician, coming to you from inside the porch, Abilene, 
training facility. Hey, if you ever have, have everyone try out a place that might be the place for you to start your exercise routine, uh, try out the Forge Abilene. You can go to theforgeabilene.com. It's basically a uh, personal training in a small group setting. You have a coach at every visit. Man, it'd be awesome to have you come try it out. Just go to theforgeabilene.com. They're getting ready to kick off their summer special for all the uh, different age groups, including uh, the high schoolers and and uh, elementary kids who are getting out of school, as well as all you adults out there. I mean, they have all the kinds of adult boot camps, strength training classes. But come check out the Forge Abilene uh, at going by going to ForgeAbilene.com. Hey, Ferris, I thought we'd jump into uh, probably the biggest event on the planet right now, sports-wise, is the NBA Finals. And there's a story there. There's not a lot of injuries going on. You know, we had Steph Curry, who was uh, – you know, having some knee issues. It looks like he's pretty much over that, even though we talked about how maybe it looked like it, took, it was taking him just a second longer, a split second longer to get off his uh, jump shot because of his knee injury. But it looks like he's kind of over that. They've gotten back pretty much everybody off the, uh, you know, disabled list on both teams now. They're going full tilt. But, man, last night watching uh, the game, I, it, it reminded me uh, of Jeff Green, the uh, Cleveland Cavaliers power forward. He had seven points, five assists, and three rebounds last night. But his story is amazing, and I don't know if you know it, Ferris. Have you heard about Jeff Green and what he's gone through to play NBA basketball? Unbelievable, dude. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. He had an aortic aneurysm, and if, if you've ever been, uh, ever, have never heard of that term, basically your aorta is your biggest artery in your body. So it's the largest vessel that carries oxygenated blood to your muscles, to every different organ in your body. And he had an aneurysm. So think of a uh, an aneurysm is like if you think of a garden hose that is stopped up on the end. So you you got your garden hose and you put a, a nozzle on the end so the water can't come out. And you turn the faucet on full tilt, and now suddenly you see an area pooch out or bleb out in that garden hose. That's what an aneurysm is. It's a weakening of the aorta in an area that the blood starts to now push the, the artery out. And so that aneurysm is getting bigger and bigger. And remember, your aorta, what you, when you take your blood pressure, Ferris, what you're doing is you're measuring the pressure in your arteries. You're, me- you're measuring the pressure when your heart beats, systolic, and when your heart rests, diastolic. So, you know, that's what you're measuring. So there's high, high pressure in your aortic artery. And so when you have an aneurysm, if that eventually blows, just like if your garden hose eventually, it doesn't just bleb out, but it, it opens and lets the water out. A lot of water comes out really fast. That's what happens in aortic aneurysm when it starts leaking and then boom, it ruptures. And then next thing you know, you're not with us anymore. And so he had an aortic aneurysm. He's 6'9", 235 pounds. He's a big dude. He played for Georgetown. I forgot how good he was. He was actually drafted fifth overall by the Celtics in 2007. And he underwent an aortic, aortic aneurysm repair. And I'm telling you, cardiovascular surgeons and, and uh, the likes, they are some remarkable people. They take people who are in life-threatening conditions, like people who have aortic aneurysms, and they take them and they treat them and they do amazing things on giving them a new lease on life. And that's exactly what they did with Jeff Green. He is now back playing basketball. It's, abs- it's absolutely stunning that he was back one year, a little bit less than a year, about 11 months after his aortic aneurysm uh, repair. He is back playing basketball in 2012. And the kind of the cool part of the story, Ferris, Kevin Durant, who was his former teammate when they played on the Thunder together, he dedicated his 2012 season to Jeff Green because he was they're such good friends and, and nobody thought he'd play basketball again. Well, how cool is it now that they are playing against each other in the finals? So I'm sure Jeff Green, every time he gets on the court, uh, has a little bit different perspective after going through that, wouldn't you believe? 
Yeah, LeBron actually talked about that. I think is after they won to get to the finals, he talked about what Jeff Green's going through and how well he's playing and how everybody's pulling for him. I guess my question is, we hear about guys that have these 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 types of injuries that you know if if you don't treat them, they you could drop dead. Is there a danger in being a professional athlete exerting all this energy, or is it hey, it's fixed, you're fine now, don't worry about it, just go do your thing? You know, that's probably a question for a cardiothoracic surgeon. I don't really know. I just know that they're not going to release him to play sports again unless they feel like there really is not a true chance for him yeah. to re-rupture or tear that. You, you, my, I actually had a grandfather that early, early, early on, this is in the uh, 19, early 1970s when they were just really starting to come up with different materials to try to replace an aortic aneurysm with and, and, and give, basically give you a new lease on life. He actually re-tore, but it was a car accident. So he re-ruptured mm-hmm. and, and actually eventually died from that uh, where the uh, had been repaired. But these guys are so good at it now. They do such amazing work. I don't think as a physician, a cardiothoracic surgeon would have released him back to play had he thought there was a chance of that re-rupturing. So I, I, my answer, my off the top of my head answer is no, but that's not really a – I don't know. I'm not in that field enough to know the actual risk of having you return to play after an aortic aneurysm rupture. That would be a good question for me if we can get a cardiothoracic surgeon on docs and jocks. That the other thing that brings up too, Dr. Nan, we talk about all the time, the mental aspect of that. you got guys oh, who are afraid to gosh. go out and play yeah. because they – they're not sure their ACL is healed enough. Oh, You're talking yeah. about a guy, a doctor saying, no, no, go play. You're fine. <laughs> you know, yeah. I mean, that's a mental like trust to go play that hard, to work out that hard and not worry. I would be scared to death. It's going to rupture again because I'm going to overexert myself or something. Yeah. So, I mean, how he did that, I don't know if he went through any, some sports, we saw a sports psychologist like the lovely Miss Tracy Mutton that we're going to have on our show later doing their mental strength minute. I don't know if he did that. I'm, I'm almost all NBA teams now have, you know, team sports psychologist the other thing is too you know i've seen him on uh in on social media he pulls up his shirt and he has a large scar there on the front of his chest where they cracked his chest open uh, even that healing from that i mean you, they got to cut through your yeah. sternum you know even just just that how long that takes to repair from but they recover from yeah you're right there would be a large mental component to it the other thing is uh, i think back it was a different injury altogether but guys who have potentially fatal cardiac arrhythmias, you know, so in other words, their heart beats in such a way that they have an abnormal electrical conductivity in their heart so they can sometimes have life-threatening ones. Remember, there was a famous guy, I think his name was Lenny Bias. He kept going to doctor to doctor to doctor to find one that would finally release him to play, and he finally found one that would release him to play, and he went back and played, and he died. So, you know, there you would ask about return to play. There's always somebody, I guess, out there that would let you have a return to play, but it isn't all, I guess, be careful what you wish for sometimes. There's been some pretty fatal or pretty sad, devastating, fatal cardiac events that have happened on a basketball court that make you really wonder sometimes, you know, you know, is it worth it? And so Hank Gathers was one, uh, you remember him? Hank Gathers, or no. Uh, yeah. Yeah, Hank Gathers the one that passed away and then his, his buddy shot the left-handed free throw for him. Yeah, yeah, Bo Kimball. It was Reggie, Reggie Lewis was the Celtics Reggie guy. Reggie Lewis, yeah. Lynn Bias is a guy who was the number one draft pick, and then he went out partying and died with a drug oh, overdose. Oh, with a drug like, overdose, yeah. Shortly after, yeah. Reggie but, Lewis no, is the one that died playing basketball, though, right? Yep, yep. Yeah. He was the guy who had the heart, and he was right after that. That was when the Celtics right. had, you know, I mean, it's, the guys died, so that was the biggest issue. But yeah. as a team, it really put them back because they're top two picks. Yeah, he yeah doctors- Lewis was a player, and... Yeah, kept trying to get – you're exactly right. He kept trying to get guys to release him, finally did. and Didn't go so well. Yeah, yeah, it didn't go so well. I tell you who needs the lovely Miss Tracy Munton, though, and this isn't an injury thing other than he's always been a little problematic in edit, is, uh, is JR for the Celtics. Oh! Uh, he, the lovely Miss Tracy Munton? Yeah. To just simply say, hey, 
take a breath and look at the scoreboard every now and again. Yeah. That's all you need to do. Yeah. Yeah. Just, just yeah, for the Cavaliers. The yeah. yeah, I don't know what happened there. I just, uh, <laughs> how can you not know the score? It's the, it's the NBA Finals. And the thing is, they were just shooting free throws. So you've got time to look at the scoreboard, right? It's yeah. not like you're playing. You almost, you almost feel for like Chris Webber. Remember, he gets the ball and he, and he, and he calls a timeout and it's in the yeah, middle yeah, of a yeah. play. But when he was a kid, too, he was like a, a junior or yeah. a sophomore in college. Yeah. This guy's been a pro for like 10 years. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And you can tell LeBron James, too, he's like, give me the ball. So like, give me the ball. I can shoot it. He was open, too. You know, LeBron's probably hitting that shot. Yeah, that was uh, he's got to have some middle middle issues right now, for sure. No doubt about it. Hey, the team that we talk about more than anybody uh, as far as baseball injuries, it seems like over the last probably, I don't know, four or five years has been the New York Mets. And it appears the saga continues. Um, Noah Syndergaard, their stud, right-handed ace pitcher, he now has been placed on the uh, DL, and he's placed on the DL now because of a finger injury. And so I thought you and I could talk about different types of finger injuries. You think, oh, how, how can you place on a DL because of a simple ligament sprain? And so your fingers, fares are an amazing, amazing structure as far as how they take all the pressure and all the work that a hand goes through, and they don't rupture most of the times, and they don't usually give you problems. But Noah Syndergaard, they said he's having pain at the base of his index finger, and when he flexes the finger, it causes pain. So let's just talk about flexing the finger. The, you know, you got different joints in the finger. You got three three joints in every finger. So you got the one at the very end, the tip of your finger, where it flexes down. That's your distal interphalangeal joint, DIP, we call it. Then you got your middle, right in the middle of your finger, you got your PIP, your proximal interphalangeal joint. So it it flexes in the middle, and then you've got your where your finger attaches to your hand. Your hands. Your hand bones are called metacarpals, and your finger bones are called phalanges, so we call it your metacarpal phalangeal joint, MCP joint. So three joints in every hand that has to, in every finger that has to move correctly in perfect dimension be, to be able to tolerate high-pressure pickups, pinching, all that kind of stuff. So you're, you're basically your forearm or your, your finger flexors live in your forearm, so when I flex my finger, the muscles in my forearm are the ones that are pulling my finger down and flexing it. The one that runs real deep in your forearm goes up and is the one that attaches and attaches to the very tip of your finger that flexes the DIP joint. The superficial one or the one that's uh, closest to your skin in your forearm is the one that goes and flexes the um, PIP joint, the one in the middle. And then you have uh, several different ones that flex your fingers down to allow you to flex at the MCP joint. Sometimes you can get a your, – your, your ligaments in your finger fairs are like long ropes – and they are tethered to your finger by what are called pulleys. And so think of a long rope going through these little pulleys where you have basically little arches where the, the ligaments are running down, going down through. So Noah Syndergaard throwing a baseball, many times throwing a baseball can inflame those different ligaments and those pulleys in your finger, and then they start causing friction. And so every time you move your finger, it'll sometimes trigger or give you discomfort as it glides or, and it's supposed to glide nice and smooth, but it won't. And so those are the different things that will give you discomfort in your finger when you're throwing so there's lots of things that can go wrong with ligaments and tendons and uh, finger flexors but Noah Syndergaard and the New York Mets just another in the long sad tragic history of New York Met pitchers that have had problems with their fingers for sure 
Yeah, they 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 just can't get a break. I mean, they you know, I remember years ago when they were in the World Series, everybody's like, oh, they're going to dominate. They're going to be back this is, with this pitching staff. They're going to be back year in and year out, and that's what injuries do yeah. to you. They you said know? save you, Matt you Harvey because recover. yeah, we'll get we'll use Matt Harvey later on, and now Matt Harvey's not even with them. So yeah, yeah. you never know, man. You never know how many times you're going to get to the dance. Just like Dan Marino goes to the Super Bowl his rookie year and never goes again. You never know. So man, take those uh, times when you make it all take the advantage. way. Take advantage of them. Hey, when we come back, we'll be talking to Paul Janish, former Rice Owl, who won a national championship with them in College World Series, went on and played professionally. We'll have that more here on Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. to Docs and Jocks, brought to you in part by West Texas Neurosurgery, Abilene Tech, and Sports Clips. Touchdown. Now, back to more Docs and Jocks with Dr. Dan and Ferris. Hey, welcome back to Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. Man, we are so glad to have you listening. Remember, you can listen to us anytime, anywhere by going to our iTunes podcast, Docs and Jocks, D-O-X-N-J-O-X. If you're not in our one of our radio station listening audiences, uh, you can listen to us anytime by going to our iTunes podcast as well. Joined each week by my co-host, Ferris Potter, the voice of Grand Canyon University. And Ferris, we are so lucky to have online a good friend of Docs and Jocks, Paul Janish. Uh, Paul was not only uh, played for Rice University, but he also was a College World Series champion while he was at Rice and then went on to have an illustrious uh, Major League Baseball career. And he is now back coaching uh, with Rice University. Paul, thank you so much for being on. No, great to be here, guys. I always enjoy coming on the show. Well, you know you've uh, played college baseball, obviously, won a, won a uh, national championship with uh, with Rice. Now you're back coaching with Rice again. Tell us what it's like this time of the year. And in my opinion, as a fan looking from the outside, this seems like the best time of the year in college baseball. All the excitement, all the teams going at it. Everybody thinks they have a shot at the College World Series. You've got all the big dogs still left in playing. Tell us what it's like uh, this time of the year as a college baseball player and as a coach. Oh, it's a, it, just like you said, it's an exciting time, and, and it's a pretty cool dynamic now with as much exposure as college baseball gets and as much TV time as we get with the regionals and everything else. It, uh, it's just there's so much emotion wrapped up into the college game, which for me this past year being back as a, as a coach at Rice was, was such a cool thing to see. You know, at the professional level we get baseball, like it or not, becomes a little bit more of a job type type dynamic. And in and, and the college level there's so much emotion involved and these kids are playing for, for the opportunity to go to Omaha, something that they'll remember for the rest of their lives. It's, it's just, uh, it, it, in my opinion, it's kind of second to none. It's, it's really as good as baseball gets. Yeah, absolutely. Ferris, you have a question for Paul? Hey, yeah. Paul, take us back to when you guys got the bids and you went to the, the, the World Series and the regionals. What's that like when you go to your first regional? Because, I mean, I'm looking at this at the way this is set up this year. There's some really tough regionals, man. There, there's some two and three seeds. I'm yeah. like, holy cow, these, guys, these are some legit teams. Yeah, you know that's kind of the luck of the draw. The way the the way the seating works nowadays, it's uh, it's you know. But at, at the end of the day, you know, you don't get the Omaha on accident. You know, there's there's a lot of good teams out there. There's a lot of depth in college baseball now, which which makes you know even from from my standpoint now as a coach, there's there's a lot of good jobs out there. There's a lot of good programs. There's there's a, there's a lot of talent to 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 have at the college level, and for that reason, it's uh it's it's a tough dynamic getting back to Omaha. That's why it's, it's such a valued experience. You know, Paul, you're a, you won the College World Series in 2003. You know, since that time, it seems like uh, the uh, young youth travel, select, whatever you want to call it, baseball has really kind of taken off. These kids are now playing pretty much year-round. When you get them in college now, they probably played, you know, three or four times as much baseball as I had played at that point in time in my college, in my high school career. Do you think that what we're seeing, in the, not only at the college level where you're seeing a lot of young, great players, but also at the professional level where you see – 
the Bryce Harpers, the, the Mike Trouts, the guys that are coming up that just seem so uh, already seasoned. Do you think that's played a big part in it? Yeah, I do. I think that the, the youth baseball in, in, in different parts of the country has, has taken such big strides. And, and really what you're dealing with is a much more finished product. You know, guys are just much more polished at a younger age. And a lot of that has to do with them focusing on baseball at a younger age. You know, there's not as much two-way sport, three-way sport kids anymore. They, yeah. they they kind of they kind of pick what they're doing at a younger age, and and even from within the game, they pick whether or not they're going to be just a pitcher or just a position player, yeah. and, and things of that nature. And for that reason, you're, you're, we're dealing with a much more finished product. Guys are their mechanics and, and things of that nature are much cleaner than what they than what they were even when I even when I was coming through college, which was only you know 15 yeah, to 20 right. years ago, and and it's it's it it really has taken on a, a whole new dynamic, and it's 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 good for us at the college level because it it, it makes it easier to access talent with all the showcases and things yeah, of that nature yeah. as well as professional scouts but um but there's no question there's, there's so much more money involved and so much more exposure that it's yeah. it's uh it's just a, a bigger bigger ordeal now yeah agree Bears? you know paul it's funny you talk about that i i think about scouts back in the day or, or college coaches where they'd find a kid out kind of nowhere and they'd hide him from everybody. You can't do that anymore. Like everybody knows about everybody these days. No, there's, there's, there's. That's a very difficult thing to accomplish now. It's, it's just the way it is. As a matter of fact, nowadays you, you can't even hide him within, within the sport. Even, even, even if a kid plays football and hadn't even played baseball in high school, there's, there's people that are, that are seeking him out if he's got the, the right skill set. It's, it's, uh, it, it, there, there's no diamonds in the rough anymore. It seems like. You know, Ferris is out there in Arizona, Paul, so we're here in Texas, and you and I probably agree that Texas is the ba- greatest uh, baseball state in, in all of the United States. I'm just saying that, Ferris, just straight up, right there, just said it. So, you know, hey, you face hard a lot. to argue when you look at the College World <laughs> yeah, Series layout. Right. Hey, so when you look at uh, the schools, and you've played some of these schools this year, got a, got an up-close look at some of these schools, Texas Tech, A&M, even Dallas Baptist University, all the great schools mm-hmm. in Texas right now. When you saw them up close this year, who are you, uh, who are you thinking is going to take it all the way? You know, it's such a hard thing to say. There's so many variables. I will say that you're absolutely right. The depth of, of college baseball in Texas, I mean, you got five or six teams that you could you could argue or have a chance to go to Omaha and, and get hot and win the, win the College World Series. Um, I will say that, you know, I've, uh, going back to my roots here, I got David Pierce was my was my assistant yeah. coach when I was at Rice University. Wow. So if I'm being totally honest right now, I'm, you know, I know they got the host in, in Austin and they got a big weekend coming up, so – We'll, uh, we'll we'll give them the nod and hope that they can get hot and, and do something cool. Hey, you know, when they got hot was when they uh, played uh, Texas State. They were down three runs in the last inning. They hit a walk-off grand slam, and it seems like they yeah. caught fire at the end of the season. Is it is is, is it true that, you know, you, I mean, people always say you got to be hot at the right time, but do you, have you ever seen a team just get hot at the very end of a season and ride that wave all the way through to the College World Series? There's there's no question. I mean, it, it it's happened. I remember going back a little ways with Fresno State. I know they did that. And uh, it, it, that, like, I, like I was describing, the emotion at, at this level is, is such a significant aspect of, of the games and, and, and the way the players play that when they get hot like that at, at, the, end of the, at the end of the season at the right time, they, they believe they can do anything. And for that reason, it, you're, you absolutely can, can catch fire and, and take it all the way. Yeah. Ferris? Hey, Paul, are you kind of getting tired of this whole uh, – and maybe you're not. You can tell me if you're not. But I'm kind of getting tired of this whole SEC. Like, yeah. they get 10 teams in. <laughs> I know. And, and six Every from the year. ACC. Every I'm just year. like, come on. They didn't reinvent baseball. I know they have some good teams, but come on. Let's get a little serious here. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't know if you guys are familiar with the adage, uh, money talks. But, it's uh, <laughs> you know, there, there's, there, there's a lot of uh, – don't get me wrong. There's a tremendous amount of talent in the SEC. And, and yeah. really, just in general, that part of the country – and that's why they're able to have the depth within that conference. But, uh, 
I mean, they, they have some resources, obviously, some advantages that a lot of other a lot of other conferences and, and programs don't have. And for that reason, they're able to, to put a, a deep product on the field from a conference standpoint. So uh, it's hard for me to argue against them because some of those teams at the bottom of the SEC have the ability to play really well, especially from the standpoint of having at least one or two really good starting pitchers, which at this level can, can really – you can piggyback on. Well, it was kind of fun to see that they, they made LSU go all the way out to Oregon State and to hear all the fans crying about that. That was actually kind of enjoyable to hear LSU fans complain. <laughs> yeah, they're probably complaining all the way on their on the drive to, to Oregon State because I imagine LSU's still going to travel pretty good and have a pretty good contingent out there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> hey, Paul, one of the things I, I – my young son is going through this process right now. We're just going – we love watching college baseball, obviously. We love watching professional baseball. And you just coming off your professional career – Guys are throwing so incredibly hard now compared to, you know, the the best pitcher on a team when I played college baseball in the late 80s might hit 90 miles an hour. We never even fathomed of guys throwing 95 to 100 miles an hour consistently and having to face it. How did you as a professional and how do these young guys now, even in college, face 95? I mean, you got, you got Jordan Hicks throwing 105 miles an hour in the big leagues relatively consistently 100 to 105. How do you even possibly see that and hit it? I just—it's amazing how good a hitter you guys are. Yeah, the thing I would I would comment on with that is, is the, the terminology terminology I use now is that it just comes with the invite, you know, especially at the professional level. I mean, there's so much depth. I think I saw a stat the other day that there was 82 guys that touched 100 miles an hour last year in the minor leagues or in professional baseball. So it's—I mean, it is. There's just so many arms out there, and again, yeah. we'll I'll attribute that back to. Guys focusing on one thing from an earlier age, and there's so much more attention to training and to the biomechanics of everything and, and the nutrition aspect. And you start piling all those things onto each other, you're going to get guys that are that, that have the ability to do things that we haven't seen before. But um, and it'll be interesting to see because I think that we're as we continue to if the velocity becomes so prevalent and the pitchers continue to be able to make the ball do things that they haven't been able to do before. Uh, there's, there's going to have to be some consideration with regards to the mound, it's, at least at the professional level, and whether that's the distance or the height or whatever the case may be. Because it's, uh, and, and I think that's why you've seen the changes in the baseball with, at the big league level, and that's why it, they want to maintain the offensive aspect of the, of the game because from a, from a marketing standpoint, that's what people want to see. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they did that in 1968, I believe. They lowered the mound because of Bob Gibson being so incredibly dominant and throwing like a 1.12 ERA or something like that. So it's been done historically where they've actually made changes to make the game more offensive. So I can see where that would happen. Fair show question for Paul Janish. Hey, Paul, we talked about a little bit earlier about how kids are coming in uh, with a better understanding of the game. They, they've worked more on the game because they're only focused on baseball. Do you, do you feel like you lose something? I mean, obviously there's something to gain, right? You as a college coach, you get a kid who's much more developed, maybe further along the path. But do you lose something in a kid who just played baseball since, like, his freshman year or something like that, not played football, not played basketball, not played other sports? Yeah, from my perspective, I think that's, that's absolutely true. And I, So I have two young kids, a five- and a six-year-old boy. And, uh, you know, I, I, I personally, and I, and I do this on the, on the recruiting path as well, I encourage parents to, to keep their kids in as many different things as whether it's basketball or football or whatever the case is because it's so productive to have that type of uh, adaptability. And, you know, they can focus when they get older. To me, I always say, if the kid's going to be good, he's going to be good. And I, I realize the showcase aspect of, of the high school level, trying to get seen for colleges. But And, and, and that's why you've got guys that are still so valued as a two-way player, whether that be in the professional draft or whether that be for us recruiting them to the college level, because you know that the potential is still in there. And, and at the end of the day, they are a better, quote-unquote, athlete. So they're going to have the ability to adapt a little bit better and, and, 
and that, to me, that's a valuable, valuable asset that, that can't be overlooked. Yeah. You know, one of the things we see right now in Major League Baseball, Paul, is we see a trend, I mean, probably about a 10-year trend now of being down. Hit and runs are down. Uh, bunting is down. Uh, steals are down. We see basically, uh, you know, either strike out or hit a home run. But, you know, the, the great thing about the college game, I feel like when I watch the college game, you still see the game of baseball fully because you still have guys out there doing small ball. You're still hitting and running. You're still bunting. You're still trying to swipe a bag when you can. It doesn't seem like that same trend in college baseball has hit like it has in Major League Baseball. I find college baseball more enjoyable personally to watch because of those things. Do you find that the same in your case? Yeah, and that's, that's part of the reason I was excited to get back to the college level this year because I had been so exposed to the professional level for such a long time that it, it, it was a reacclimation to kind of the tactics of the game, if you will. Um, at, at the professional level, there's there's just there's so many so many so much emphasis on the long ball, which which is understandable with the analytics and the yeah. the technology that is that is immersed in the game now. That's what you're going to get, and that's what's being that's what's being compensated for. So for that reason, you're going to guys are going to focus their abilities on being able to do those things that are compensated for. At the college level, it it, it really is. That's another aspect of why it is baseball at its purest to me. I mean, it's the emotion wrapped up in the game. These kids are landed on the line. I mean, some of these kids won't play again. And for that reason, they just empty the tank. And to me, that dynamic is just, I mean, it's second to none. Right. Ferris? Paul, what was the biggest, what was the biggest thing for you to get readjusted to moving from the pro ranks back to the college ranks? You know, to me, it was, it was, you know, you're dealing with 18 to 21 year old kids, right? And, and for that, from that standpoint, (laughs) They're at a point, and it's, it's it's funny because you can comment on a lot of things, right? There, but there, there. I, I joke with the guys that say college, you know, freshman is college, no parents. You know, it's the first time they're adjusting to to life without living at home. Most of them, you know, adjusting to having the having the freedom to go to class or to not go to class and take care of their business or not take care of their business. So, to me, that that that's what's from a mentoring standpoint. Which what I appreciate about it is is the ability to kind of lead these 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 guys and try to help mold them into productive citizens if you will um it's uh it, it it really is a cool time frame of their life and 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 what's appealing again to me is the ability to kind of influence who they become hey paul you uh mentioned uh, mentoring it made me think about your coach who's been uh, you know coached you to the college world series and is now stepping down at uh, at rice uh, wayne graham who's been there for so many years a legend in college baseball tell us kind of what he meant to you for, for your career and uh, what he means to that rice program and college baseball in general yeah, you know, it was such a it was such a cool honor for me to be able to come back and work under coach. You know, I was one of the few guys that played for him and also had to coach with him. And uh, you know, he, he he's he's grandfathered in. You know, he's from the old school. He's he's got a very firm mentality. But I'll tell you this: a lot of people don't know about him is how much he does care about the players. You know, he's got that rough exterior, but he's a teacher at heart. And um, it was it, what he did for Rice in, in terms of. To, to be totally honest, with just putting us on the map. You know, that's that's exactly what he did. You know, but prior to Coach being there, nobody knew Rice baseball. And now, anytime you t- you say Rice University anywhere in the country, that's the first thing they say. Hey, man, I think they got a pretty good baseball team. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> it, it was it was so cool to 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 be able to work with him. And um, and and now that he's you know, the game the game the game goes on. You know, as they say, you know, we're gonna have we're still gonna have a baseball program at Rice. And and but for me personally, he influenced. Just the, everything about really the way I see the game, the way I view the game, uh, just on a lot of different a lot of different levels. He uh, he influenced a lot of guys over over a very long period of time, and and uh, I mean his record speaks for itself. I saw they were when they did a 
He had a 70% winning percentage, which is equivalent to a big league team winning 111 games every single year. Wow. So, oh, my gosh. I mean, when, you, when, you, when you put that into perspective, you're like, geez, man, this yeah. guy, I mean, it, it, it's hard to follow, right? Right. That's right, legit. Absolutely. <laughs> well, Paul, we wish you all the best in your uh, young coaching career, and I know uh, you had a great uh, Major League Baseball career and a college career, so we appreciate you coming on the show and kind of getting us uh, geared up for the College World Series and what's going on in college baseball right now. We'll have to have you on again real soon when Rice wins the next uh, national championship here in a few years. Sounds like a plan, guys. Y'all have a good one. All right. Thanks, Paul. Hey, we'll be right back with more Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show after this short commercial break. It's, it's way out, right? Way away from SMU. Yeah. Air Hog, Air Hog Stadium. Yeah, that's a it's an independent, it's like league. a minor independent ball. Texas and their names. <laughs> but River Shaw's not far from there. You ever been to that ballpark? I was looking by my count. I, there's six teams from Texas in the College World Series: Baylor, Texas, Texas Southern, Texas A&M, Dallas Baptist, and Texas Tech. Who's Texas Southern? Did I miss anybody? Where's Texas Southern? They're I'm playing in Austin. They're playing I'm in Austin. Assuming it's in Texas. Hey, Ferris, Tech plays at one. What's that? Tech plays at one. They're going to get crushed. 20 to one. Uh, no, yeah, one. No, I, it, my thing says two Eastern time. Well, yeah. You're listening to Docs and Jocks. Brought to you in part by Sylvan Learning Center, Dr. Melton Chiropractic, and Texas Sports Hall of Fame. Touchdown. Now back to more Docs and Jocks with Dr. Dan and Ferris. Hey, welcome back to Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. Man, it's so great to have you joining us today. What we do here on air is talk about what's going on in the sports medicine world and uh, do it, basically what's going on in the sports entertainment world, but do it with a sports medicine niche. So myself, Dr. Dan, a longtime sports medicine physician with Texas Sport and Spine, uh, joined each week with my co-host, Ferris Potter, the voice of Grand Canyon University. Do that more, all that and more here on Docs and Jocks. We'd love to have you part of our show and ask us your own question by going to docsandjocks.com. You can email us there as well. Hey, Ferris, I thought we'd jump into some of the big stories in the sports medicine news right now. By the way, that was a great interview with Paul Janish. Did you want to say something about that interview? Yeah, I wanted to ask you a question uh, before yeah. we get into a few more injuries. So Paul was talking, you were t- talking about the fact that the kids are throwing in the mid-90s, yeah. you know, in college yeah. and it's kind of like if you can't throw 90, especially as a righty, you ain't going to a power D1 school unless, you know, something else. But it's interesting. I just heard an interesting thing that a lot of professional players are getting down into the coaching ranks. So they're bringing that professional pitching mentality of finding big, strong arms and pitching a lot of fastballs and yeah. challenging batters, yeah. but pitching up in the zone. And it's funny because we always were taught, you know, low and away, low and away, that type of keep the ball down. Yeah. But there, the theory I've heard is, well, everybody's trying to get yes. a launch angle. Yeah. So if you go up higher in the zone, it's harder. It's harder to get a better launch angle yes. on that, and the ball gets on you faster. So they're they're actually not afraid to pitch higher in the zone if you've got that 94, 95 mile an hour fastball. And if you got an 89 mile an hour fastball, you'll get killed up in the zone. Yeah. You know, unless you're in and out, that type of stuff. Because you don't anymore take uh, because we. I mean, hitters know that the, every pitcher is trying to pitch them at the knees. I mean, that's just a given because they're like pound it down, pound it down. We've heard that for years. Hit that low strike, low outside strike, low inside strike. So because it's always down low, every hitter knows that. We set the tee when we do work. My son and I, when we do work, we set the tee at the knees. So rarely do we ever try and set the tee up. There are some drills, and there are some really good ones, actually, where you have a high tee, and they set it in the higher part of your zone, but we never practice that. And I don't really know why, but you're exactly right. They don't see the high fastballs often. And if you try and do the launch angle, which is the launch angle, uh, for those who don't uh, haven't heard that term or haven't been around a lot of baseball, is the angle where you're trying to get your bat in the same plane 
as a baseball coming at you. Remember, the guy's up on a hill, you know, the mound, the pitcher's mound, and he's throwing it downhill, so that ball is coming at a downward trajectory. You're trying to match that or even, even do a little bit more than that to be able to get the ball lifted and try and hit a home run. Well, if you think about him throwing higher, <clears throat> it's hard to get in that same plane with that high pitch and still have a high launch angle. That's very difficult to do. So, yeah, you're exactly right. They are trying to teach a high fastball, and you can blow a 96, 97, for yeah. God forbid, Jordan Hicks throwing 105 mile an hour high fastball by these guys. I mean, it's just so hard to catch up with it. You know, it's it's just I I did the I broadcast the Western Athletic Conference baseball tournament last uh, last last week, and uh, New Mexico State won it. Uh, Scotty's team, Scotty Sanchez team, and they're going to be playing Texas Tech uh, coming up this first. They're in that regional. And the two teams have played before. One was a blowout one. It was a close game. Tech had to win it uh, in the last inning. But I say all that to say I got to broadcast the games with Russ Ortiz, and we're going to get him on docks and jocks because Russ pitched for 12 years in the majors. Yeah. Uh, and it was just funny. He, As we were talking, he would bring up things like, oh, when I was – in LA and I was talking to Oral about pitching. He's talking about Oral <laughs> yeah, right. Oh, when I was in yeah. when I was in Atlanta, I talked to 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 Greg and Tom. He's talking about Maddox and yeah, Glass. So, yeah, like, yeah, oh, right. yeah. He would, it was this this is the way these guys think. He said when he got to Atlanta, Greg Maddox and Tom Glavin and him were talking pitching out in the bullpen. And Greg says, Hey Russ, when you know a guy is looking for an inside fastball, what do you throw him? And Russ said, Well I, I pitch him junk away. And Greg goes, No. You give him an inside fastball, but you give him an it, give it to him an inch further in than he wants it. Yeah, because you know he's going to swing at it, but he's not going to be able to barrel it, and he's gonna he's gonna foul it off or strike out. And I'm thinking so you're odd. that yeah. good that you know <laughs> Sammy Sosa Barry Bonds wants an inside fastball, but you're going to give it to him an inch further in so they can't barrel it. Oh, like that's amazing. That's how those guys think. Yeah, yeah. It's just um, yeah because everybody would say when you ask that question to me, I would say outside slow stuff outside. But yeah, you're exactly right. If they're going to swing at an inside fastball, just make it a really inside fastball so they end up doing something bad with it. Yeah. You know he's going to swing. <laughs> yeah. Because, he's, he's, hey, that's my pitch. But you throw it an inch, inch and a half inside, and he's going to let her rip. Yeah. I got to tell my – <laughs> we uh, moved uh, – if you're an inside fastball hitter, you move up on the plate. So I guess that's the guys you really bear in on them. You know, you throw it really far in on them. But you just hope but now most people can't throw it an inch further in. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's that. <laughs> there lies the – Miss an inch yeah, further out. The guy hey, speaking of great pitchers, man, Clayton Kershaw – uh, he left uh. the game. Uh, he was experiencing back pain, and he's now saying it's the same back pain that put him on the DL uh, last year for an extended period of time. So I thought this would be a good time. This is my day job at Texas Sport and Spine, as I do a lot of spine care, is talk to a lot of people with back pain, a lot of athletes with back pain. And one of the things that makes back pain so recurrent is understanding what the causes of back pain are, and you'll understand a little bit ba- more about why it can be recurrent. So your disc in your back is a fancy little shock absorber that lives between the bones in your back. So that disc is a uh, basically a gooey jelly donut fair, so it has a gooey center, tough outer rings. And when you bend forward like Clayton Kershaw does over and over again, when you bend at your waist, you squeeze that jelly donut, and you push the jelly out the back, and it causes a tear along those rings. And when you get a tear, that's called an annular tear because those rings are called annular. It's called an annular, so you call the tears across them an annular ring. Uh, tear, annular tear. And so once you tear your annulus or you tear across the edge of your disc, it heals, but it heals like a bad scar going across it. So imagine um, if you tore a drape, if you took the top of a drape and you tore it and you duct taped the drape back together, that would be the analogy of the scar tissue healing across that tear in your disc. So if you went up to the drape and you pulled on both sides of it, on the one side of the tear and the other side of the tear, put one hand on each side and you pulled it apart, where's it going to tear at? It's where the duct tape is, right? 
Yep. So you would say that that drape has a higher risk of tearing again because it had an initial tear that healed, but it never healed as strong as it was before the tear was there. So when Clay Kershaw has a tear or an annular tear in his back, and I don't know what he does, but I'm just saying this is the most common cause of back pain in young athletes. If he does have an annular tear and he goes and he pitches and he can bends over his waist again, guess what? He eventually can put enough force through it, boom, you tear, the annular tear tears again, and it starts that whole cascade of back pain over again. So if you've had a disc herniation, a disc bulge, a disc protrusion, a ruptured disc, those are all terms that basically mean that somewhere along the way you had a tear in the outer edge of your disc along those rings, those tough fibrous rings, and you are, once you've had that, you don't always have pain because it does heal, but you're at a higher risk of having that happen again because of that initial injury. So Tiger Woods is a classic example, had back pain, had it recur on him multiple times. Clayton Kershaw had back pain, had it recur on him again now. Uh, anybody who's ever injured their back always, I can tell, like, because I had an injury in college where I injured my back, probably annular tear, and looking back, kind of knowing this, not what I do now. And when I start doing things where I, uh, let's say I bend over my waist and I do tire flips in my four javelin strength class, if I don't do it properly and I bend over at my waist as opposed to bending at my knees and kind of getting under it and using my whole body as opposed to bending over my waist and now all my pressure is on that disc, I can tell it's on the edge. I, I know the feeling. I'm like, uh-oh, I'm right on the edge. If I keep going, I'm going to have that bad back pain again and, and re-aggravate it. So I think that's probably, if you know what the most likely cause of back pain is, an, a, a discogenic pain or a tear in your disc, you can kind of understand why Clayton Kershaw, who does a repetitive bending at your waist at least 130, 150 times a game by the time you count in all the warm-up pitches and in-between pitches, that that he's repetitively bending over at your waist. So that's one of the reasons that he can have a recurrent back problem. So that makes sense? Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> and, and, it's, and it's a big cause of concern for the Dodgers yeah, who are just is. playing themselves back into the into West. Uh there's a lot of interesting things about that, Dr. Dan. I mean, you broke it down great of why it could reoccur. But let, let's talk about the nuts and bolts. He just missed a month for a bicep injury. Last two years, he's missed like a couple of months each season with it. Um, his velocity was down about two, two and a half miles an hour in the high 80s, low 90s. And, you know, he's going to have to learn how to pitch a little differently if that fastball is not the 92, 93 mile an hour range. And last night, you know, normally he throws a slider about – 30% of the time, a third of the time. Last night, he threw half his pitches were sliders. Now, it's a great slider. Yeah. But we might be seeing a brand new – I mean, he might have to pitch differently moving forward. If he doesn't have that fastball, he can sneak by it. Because 92 is not – I mean, you know, super fast. we got guys throwing 100-plus. Yeah. But you throw a slider in the mid-80s, low-80s, and you come back with 92, it gets on you in a hurry. So yeah. it works. But it, you throw at 89, and that difference isn't there. So it'll be interesting. But, yeah, he – when he left, he said it kind of reminded him of last year how it felt. His back tightened up, his velocity reduced. Yep. Dave Roberts, let's get him out of there. Anyone who's ever Ugh. experienced back pain understands that it is definitely a hindrance to your ability to do a full-on task. In other words, you try and do your hardest event that you could possibly do, like throwing a baseball as hard as you can. You're going to have it in your back of your mind somewhere, man, i got to take this a little easy. And so what you do, you just you slow it down a little bit and you lose some velocity. This isn't the first time, by the way, a great Hall of Fame, a future Hall of Fame pitcher has had an injury that then he had to change how he threw to be, continue pitching. Bob Feller actually talks about how when he was throwing, he knew that he had done something to his shoulder. <clears throat> There's probably a rotator cuff tear back. Remember, he pitched in the 40s and the 50s. 
and he knew he did something, and he just kept on pitching, but he didn't have the same velocity in his fastball anymore. So Bob Feller, they called him Bullet Bob because he threw so hard, probably one of the greatest right-handed pitchers of all time. He suddenly became a curveball pitcher in the second half of his career, kind of this the last third of his career, became a curveball pitcher. So he totally changed because he said, I couldn't, I couldn't rely on my fastball to get it by him anymore, so now he suddenly had to throw a curveball because he just sit on my fastball because he could hit it. So it's been done before. People have had to reinvent themselves because of injuries. But, man, you just hate to see Clayton Kershaw, who had such a, a bright career already, not be able to fulfill that all the way through because of injuries. Yeah, and, and you know, who, who knows? He didn't do a rehab assignment, so maybe it's just the actual work. I mean, he threw a simulated game. I don't know why the Dodgers didn't send him on a rehab assignment because a simulated game and a real game, even if it's AAA, are totally different. Oh, you totally talk different. to everybody. Yeah. The speed of a real game is drastically different than anything you can simulate. So even a AAA simulated game, a couple of starts might have been a wise decision. Kershaw didn't feel like he needed it. They didn't do it. He only got through half the game. So I don't know. They might be thinking back, like, oh, maybe we should have let him throw some more. But he's doing an MRI. So, you know, who knows? Yeah. Like we tell you, you always say, that's somewhat limited to do yeah. an MRI. But maybe that'll tell him a little bit. Hopefully, hopefully. It just tightened up because he hadn't thrown in a month, and he'll be fine. Yeah, I do this little talk. I do it every so often because I want my listeners to understand. So when you go to your doctor, I had this talk with a patient this morning. When you go to your doctor and you have an MRI done, what an MRI does, it just tells you anatomical changes in the area that you're imaging. It does not tell you how anything moves, how it works, if there is pain in that area. None of those things are answered by an MRI. So it does not take the place of a physical exam, a history I had a patient that uh, had no back pain. She only had pain in her groin area, her hip. That's where your hip joint lives. Someone had ordered an MRI in her back, and it showed a disc bulge at the very bottom level in her back. And she was so concerned the whole entire visit with me about her back disc bulge that, that's, that, that was, it was almost like it was blocking my ability to be able to talk to her about her real problem, which was her hip, because she had an MRI mm-hmm. that showed a, a disc bulge. Remember, 60 to 70% of people walking around who have no symptoms whatsoever, no back pain, no problems. If you and I, Ferris, go and get an MRI, one of us most likely is going to have a disc bulge, herniation, protrusion. It does not mean that that is causing any pain or any problem. It only, your MRI is o- results are only taken in lieu of what your patient history and physical exam has to- told you. If my patient has no back pain, they do not hurt when I examine their back. I don't care if they have a disc bulge at L5-S1 if that's not where their pain is originating because people can have normal people walking around can have disc bulges. Clayton Kershaw has one probably right now, an annular tear from him throwing, which is symptomatic, so it wouldn't matter to me. But it doesn't matter to me if it doesn't, it doesn't fit clinically with where your symptoms are coming from. If you don't believe me, I'm just a small sports medicine doctor here in Abilene, Texas. been doing it 25 years. But the great James Andrews, Jimmy Andrews, who's probably the most renowned sports medicine doctor in the uh, country, when we had him here on Docs and Jocks as our guest, said exactly the same thing. MRIs are way overutilized in how you treat your patients. It only matters in lieu of your patient history and physical exam. So just, just because he's having an MRI, Clayton Kershaw, it does not mean that that is the end-all, be-all of examination. That isn't, that isn't his whole visit. If the MRI is going to be taken in conjunction with his doctor's physical exam and his history of where his problem is, and then you'll figure it out. So I always like to get that was a pretty That was a pretty legit name drop there. You just went Jimmy I did. Andrews, I did. name drop. That's actually what they called him at the Houston Clinic. We trained at the same place, and that's what Dr. Houston called him, his mentor and my mentor, so that's what I call him. <laughs> On air, though, I called him Mr. Dr. Andrews. I didn't call him Jimmy. I don't know if he likes being called Jimmy. So, but Dr. Houston could call him Jimmy, so I just did. 
So anyway, but that's uh, that's uh, my his- that's my talk on back pain and uh, athletes and no. One- oh, by the way, the number one treatment if you do have an annular tear in your back is not rest. It is well, yeah, Ferris. Have any idea what you should do for your back if your back's bothering you? You should go flip tires. <laughs> you know, really, because no. you just don't want to say it because you've been on the show so many. You know it now, don't you? What should you do if your back I- hurts you? Uh, you should you should seek medical professional. I don't. know. What are you looking for? You should go. You should you should work out. You should do core something. strengthening. Core yeah. strengthening. Oh, okay. I I thought you meant acutely to handle it right. <clears throat> it away. is. It is absolutely acutely. You start slowly moving, and you start doing a core strengthening program as soon as you possibly can tolerate it. You start so flipping tires. Yeah, not flipping tires. It's been an overture okay. waist unless you're doing it correctly. But more things like flutter kicks, uh, planks, uh, little mini crunches. Uh, uh, little bicycles, things that strengthen the muscles all the way around your core. So you want to stabilize it. Acutely, it's kind of hard sometimes because it hurts so bad, but you start slowly. It's been shown that anything over two days, and probably even less than that, of immobility is a wrong thing to do for your back. It actually ends up hurting you in the long run. So, yeah, getting into a program where you move and get going doing core strengthening is definitely something recommended early on. And I guarantee it's the wrong that- thing to do for everything, <clears throat> two days of immobility. Yeah, it doesn't do really. It doesn't do good for, yeah, <laughs> unless you're uh, catching up on sleep or something. So, hey, when we come back, man, we're going to have more docs and jocks, including we're going to have our mental strength minute with love and Miss Tracy Mutton come up on the other side of docs and jocks. Listening to Docs and Jocks, brought to you in part by Abilene Sports Medicine, Hardin Simmons University, and Lawrence Hall Chevrolet. Touchdown! Now back to more Docs and Jocks with Dr. Dan and Ferris. Hey, welcome back to Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. Great to have you with us today. If you just joined us for the very first time and you want to find out more about our Docs and Jocks sports medicine radio show, you can do so by going to docsandjocks.com, D-O-X-N-J-O-X.com, and find out what I do at my day job at Texas Sport and Spine and also find out about my co-host, Ferris Potter, the uh, sports broadcast for Grand Canyon University on those uh, websites. Hey, great to have you join us. Hey, uh, Ferris, I thought we'd jump into some of the other big stories of the news. We talked about Clayton Kershaw and his back injuries and you know, we talk a lot on uh, Docs and Jocks about how tough players are and how they overcome injuries. Uh, I, we've, we've said this on the show numerous times, and I, we just had another moment where what we said came to truth and came to light. We have said numerous times that hockey players and professional rodeo uh, riders are the tough, probably bull riders, are top the two. top two toughest people on the planet. So yeah. the uh, Washington Capitals are playing the Golden Knights in the uh, Stanley Cup Finals, and uh, Ovechkin, Alex Ovechkin is the, the uh, star player for the Washington Capitals. If you haven't seen it yet, you can YouTube it. But Alex Ovechkin, Ovechkin is standing in the, in the uh, player's box, and someone hits an errant pa- uh, hockey puck out into the player's box. Ovechkin sees it coming, and it hits him in the face, and he kind of barely flinches. And then he sits down, doesn't do anything, and about you know 10 seconds later kind of wiggles his tooth to see how, how loose his tooth is, and then goes back out in the ice and plays. I'm telling you what, man. If you've ever felt – I was a uh, team physician for a hockey team out of uh, Georgia. I uh, did that for an entire year. And I remember I've, – I've told this story before here on Docs and Jocks, but just to back up how tough these dudes are, this guy gets hit with a puck in the face, and he's uh, bleeding. And so the uh, referee comes over and says, hey, someone needs to uh, take a look at his face. He's bleeding. can't have blood on the ice. So we take him back. In the, <laughs> we take him back in the locker room, and I said, "Hey, uh, I think this is going to require stitches." He had a pretty good cut right underneath his uh, under, uh, underneath his cheekbone, where the the puck had hit him. And he goes, uh, "Hey, I just want to get back out there, man. Sew me up." I said, "Okay." I said, "All I need to do is just drop some lidocaine. I'll numb you up. I'll sew it up. I'll get you back in the ice. Take a few 
few minutes. No big deal. He goes, no, no, just sew me up. I said, I don't think you understand how bad this is going to hurt. He goes, come on, i got to go. I want to back out on the ice. I said, okay, man, here we go. So I pull out, pull out my needle drivers, get some, uh, get some, uh, uh, start sewing him up. And when I uh, sew him up with, <clears throat> with it, he doesn't flinch, like doesn't even move, winds, flinch, say, ow, nothing. So I sew him up, and I, yeah, I don't know, it took like six or seven stitches. It wasn't a big cut, and I sewed him up pretty tight. And he goes back out, and I'm like, God almighty, I always thought that was more painful than what it was. So I pull out, <laughs> I pull, I pull out some new suture, and I put in a new, new needle driver. And I just, out of kicks, I thought, I'm going to poke myself in the face and see what this feels like. Dude, I put myself in the face. I was like, ow, that hurt, man. <laughs> I, mean, I have no idea how that dude did it. I, I don't think in my best moment I could have done that without flinching. I, I don't know. I don't, it was crazy. So, absolutely, Vetchkin goes up, gets hit in the face with a puck. Also, the other thing that it was, because I didn't grow up playing hockey, Ferris, is that when a hockey puck is frozen, it is like, uh, uh, you know, you could hammer a nail with it. It's not like it's soft and gooey in any way, shape, or form. They talk about being rubber. It's more of a metal consistency when it's frozen. It is hard, thick, heavy, frozen rubber that is unbelievably hard. And to get hit in the face with that, going that fast, and not even flinch, once again, I agree that they're the toughest people on the planet. It was funny to watch because he was a little bit annoyed by it. <laughs> he was like, annoyed. He was almost he like annoyed. a fly <laughs> flew up, you know, flew and landed on his nose. He was like, come on, dude. Like, he was so locked in. I, I don't know if it hurt later. I don't know if that guy after the game when the drilling wore off, he went, dude, that hurts. What did I do? Or if he was just like, yeah, I'm just used to pain, man. That's how we roll. Yeah, he just went know. right back out. He, w- he wiggled his tooth and then went right back out on the ice. I'm like, all right, dude. Amazing how tough those dudes are. You're messing around, man. Yeah. Yeah, that and the who's the guy? The who do we say was it? Tough Hedeman, the guy that rode uh, the bull after it broke his face completely. I always get which which bullfighter that was or which uh, uh, bull rider it was. There was a guy that actually broke his entire face while ro- riding a bull. He uh, has qualified already for nationals. He goes back to nationals like two weeks later. And he rides the same bull. He gets he draws the same bull in the finals, the national rodeo finals. And he rides that bull with a broken face. <clears throat> and he said the only question he asked his doctor was, "Well, how bad can it be? I mean, would we just have to go through surgery again? Because he had surgery on his face to put together all the bones in his face." And the doctor said, <laughs> "Well, I've never had anybody ask me that question, but I would assume so. Yeah, I guess we just go back and do surgery again." And he goes, "Do it again. Let's go. Let's go ride the freaking bull, man." It was either Tough Heaterman or I forget which one it was, man. But once again, bull riders and uh, hockey players are a different breed altogether. I put them up there in the ranks of like Navy SEALs or something as far as their toughness. Yeah, they're all like that. Uh, I, I don't know. I can't remember which one it was either, but they're all like that. They yeah. just have that mentality, you know. Of They call it cowboy up, you know. And then hockey players are just, yeah, they're a different breed. But I will say this, in covering, you know, the four major sports, they're the nicest, most down-to-earth guys, the oh, hockey yeah. players. Oh, so nice, They never yeah. big time yet. They're always yes, sir. This. I mean, we talked to Mike Madonna, you know, probably one of the greatest hockey players of all time, and he was just so nice and polite and, like, you know, soft-spoken. It was it was, it was incredible. Yeah, it was tough, Hedeman. Yeah, they, yeah. hockey players are incredibly nice. Didn't you do uh, with Keith Kachuk or something? I mean, Ferris, is, uh, his life before uh, doing Docs and Jocks here, he was a uh, actor on and we did multiple different commercials and stuff like that. Didn't you do a commercial with Keith Kachuk or something like that? Yeah, Toyota commercial. He had to uh, check me. I was I was taunting him on the golf course, and he he checked me into a, a golf cart that had <laughs> yeah. a windshield. Yeah. And uh, yeah, super nice guy. 
Yeah. 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 So you've had some experience with him as well. Yeah. Strong guy, guy though. Oh, he checked me. And when he, he took the, the, the golf club like a hockey stick yeah. and put it across and checked me. And uh, he's like, can I do it? I go, no, no, no. Just do go, go, dude. You're fine. And he, he, he did it. And then he pulled back, you know, and I jumped into the thing. But he pulled back so hard, he snapped his golf club in half. <laughs> oh, did he really? Because he didn't want to hurt me. He's like, <laughs> And then right when he did it, I hit the thing and I slide down it. And they say, cut. And they all run over to him and go, hey, are you okay? Did you hurt yourself? And I'm like, I'm the one that got checked into the thing. <laughs> Nobody cared if I got hurt. Nobody cared. Of course they like, did. How would he hurt himself? I'm like a buck fifty. He's like two twenty. Oh, I'm, I'm telling you, man, amazing. Yeah, he was a super nice guy, though. Cool. Hey, uh, Alex Reyes. Remember we talked about him last week, Ferris. He's the uh, Cardinals' young. Him and um, uh, Jordan uh, Jordan Hicks are the two Cardinal young studs that are throwing 100 miles an hour consistently. So Alex Reyes was making his comeback. He's just come off some elbow trouble for him, tightness type pain, which you know whenever you hear that in a major league pitcher always makes you a little bit nervous. So uh, he came back, and uh, he pitched his first four innings for the St. Louis Cardinals. Looked amazing. I actually watched his comeback innings. I mean, just throwing, once again, consistently 100 miles an hour. And he has this really weird, weird, tough, hard-to-hit slider. So you're, you're facing 100, and a, a dude's whipping off a, a hard slider at you. throwing. And he was throwing a slider, like, by the way, 92, 93. So mm. they were just totally missing it. I think he struck out the last six batters that he saw, something like that. And uh, now he's been placed on the DL again. He has a... Right lat strain. So latissimus dorsi is the muscle that is referred to as the lat. <clears throat> and it is underneath. It is your huge big back muscle. Like when you see the big bodybuilders like Arnold do the, you know, they bow up and ro- put their arms up, but they flex that muscle in their back that kind of wings out from the side. That's your latissimus yep. dorsi. And it is a muscle that helps with, uh, <clears throat> think of uh, internally rotating your shoulders. So if you, you know, you're standing with your hands in front of you and you rotate with your elbow at your side, but your hands in front of you, and you pull your arm in, that's internal rotation. It does that at your shoulder. Also helps with, like, uh, pull-downs. You know, when you do, they call them flies. You know, when you go overhead and you pull down, that's your lats as well. So pulling yep. down as well as internally rotating your shoulder, your lats do a lot of that. But now he has that injury. It's, it's like, uh, man, the Cardinals can't – I don't know if we're going to see this more and more frequently as guys throw 100 miles an hour. If there's so much pressure and pulling and extra force on these muscles and tendons and ligaments – or if it's just something that just happens to be unique to Alex Reyes. But, man, hopefully these guys doing 100 miles an hour can stay around longer than uh, Alex Reyes, Reyes has in his uh, short career. You know, we talked to Paul Janish about a little bit, about the fact that kids are specializing. I mean, there's almost no offseason. I, I, and that's a, fairly, that's a fairly new development, what, the last seven, eight years maybe, you know? Uh-huh. Um, the kids were maybe 10, give it a decade, but really the last five, six years, it's, got, it's blown up where kids are saying, hey, you know, at seventh, eighth grade, or even younger, they're saying, I'm going to be a baseball player. I'm going to be a basketball player. I'm going to be this. I, I just, I look at it, I think, if Alex Reyes did that at, in seventh grade, he's thrown a lot more pitches than a guy who played every sport. Even like a it was a Bob Felsch said, hey, the only way to get stronger is to throw the baseball. Right. But they didn't pitch competitive innings. They, yeah. they threw the baseball. But in the offseason, they went back and farmed, or they went back and worked, or they did yeah. other things. And growing up, they played everything. So I just, I just... It's I gotta believe it's the constant day in and day out repetitiveness of from the time you're ten years old to the time you're twenty five. It just puts you've just thrown so many more bullets than the kid 
15 years ago. You, it, yeah. it has to impact you. Yeah, that's what John Lackey said when he came on uh, Docs and Jocks. That was a shameless uh, name drop again there, Ferris. I don't know if you noticed that or not. You're doing really good with that I now, am. man. Yeah, but it is I true. Mean, you I even l- name drop for me. Name drop Kachuk for me. This is like the show of the name drop. I like <laughs> I it. And the reason is, is that I learned from these guys. So John, that's exactly what John Lackey said. He goes, I only have so many bullets in my arm. And so <clears throat> if I used them up when I was throwing in high school, which he didn't, by the way. He was a <clears throat> first baseman for Abilene High. And right. he, said, he said, I saved those bullets for the big leagues. And so he didn't really start pitching until late in his college career. And then he started going in and he got drafted and pitched. So he, he was a long, durable pitcher. He did end up, I think, eventually had Tommy John surgery, but he was able to go a long time. And he said, that was because I only had so many bullets in my arm. I didn't want to use them up when I was young. But, yeah, these young guys like Alex Reyes, I guarantee, I, I don't know his career, but I watch a lot of summer youth baseball and I guarantee if he's throwing 100 miles an hour in the major leagues now, he was throwing a lot of pitches when he was a yeah. young kid because he was mowing them down. Because I guarantee when he was probably in Little League, he was throwing 80. When he's in high school, he's probably throwing 90. And now he's in the big leagues throwing 100. So, yeah. You know, I'm wondering because I, I, I name dropped Russ Ortiz. You know, you've name dropped. Uh, yeah. I, I wonder if we should start a new segment at the end of the show where Hawk and Glenn and Tag and Sergio, we get all the guys to like pick the best name drop, the winning name drop. We get it sponsored by somebody, yeah. you know. I not um, only name dropped James Andrews, Dr. Andrews, Andrews, I name dropped Jimmy Andrews. I gave him a nickname. See, that's why I think that's drop. in the lead. Because <laughs> you, you did Jimmy. That's I why did. that one's. I mean, you got Jimmy Andrews, John Lackey, Russ Ortiz. Yeah, uh, and uh, and uh, our producer Brandon Hawk of, is like the uh, ultimate name dropper. Always has been the ultimate name dropper because Hawk was the uh, former athletic trainer for the Dallas Cowboys. So one time I said, Hawk, do you think you can get Jason Witten to come on our show? And he goes, Oh, Wit, oh yeah, definitely, no problem. I can definitely get Wit on the show. So he not yeah, only see, name dropped, but he you got a nickname him and name drop. Then you're like giving yourself like I not only know this dude, but this this is my guy. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's how that goes down. So. Me and Jimmy Andrews, I think we could get that cool. sponsor. We got to get Hawk on that. Maybe like GoDaddy or something because you name your website. Name your domain. Hey, the top <laughs> name drop on Docs and Jocks was Boom. Jimmy Andrews. <laughs> That's right. That's we right. do that. And the first person to tweet us that name or whatever gets like a 15% discount or something. Let's give us some trike, man. I like it. Yeah, we used to give our trike giveaway. We need to start bringing that back with name drop. You know, who was our best name drop? You vote, you vote on the top <laughs> name drop. We can put a, a, a Twitter poll out there. <laughs> there you go, man. Absolutely. Hey, Andre Iguodala, yeah. the uh, Golden State Warriors. Oh, you mean you mean Diggy? Yeah, I mean Iggy. Sorry, yeah, I yeah. We haven't had him on the Docs and Jocks show in a name drop for sure. I would have definitely had him on a name drop. He's not like, you know, Scott Williams, who we've had on the show numerous times. Like, you know, played, he had multiple national champ or, or uh, NBA championships. I, it wouldn't be no, like, hey, to name like drop Dan him. Marley. Yeah, you know, like Thunder. Dan Marley, Thunder Dan, something like that. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I've been or, invited to his house, Thunder Dan. By the way, we're getting ready to have on one of the top all time greatest women soccer players of ever to play shannon box i just name dropped her because we're getting ready to have her on docs and jocks so yes but is that a name drop if you yes. if you're shannon if you're box. like pubbing the next guest yeah but i mean i'm gonna i'm gonna have her as my next guest but then from then on i'm gonna name drop her forever yeah we're so, gonna yeah. drop her from that yeah one, yeah because like yeah. i have i have some guys that work out here for me like uh, sergio that is like a, a soccer player so like when i name drop shannon box to him I'm legit. Like I'm, I'm. I mean, I have respect to me. Does he go crazy? Yeah, he goes talk? crazy. His eyes kind of roll back in his head, and he gets all like dizzy and falls down sometimes. When I say Abby it's Wambach, nice though, because you normally you normally go to the Pele well because that's the only soccer player you know to name drop, and yeah. then 
People like, dude, that's come on. It's so done. Everybody knows him. Yeah, like, the other one I name drop is Bend him like Beckham. I say that sometimes with my soccer friends. I say Bend him like but Beckham. That's not his name. I know, but I'm like that, Beck- that. Then I'm in. Like I'm in. Like I'm. I'm like, hey, can you bend it like? I, Beckham? you know, I know so little about soccer. I just thought he was an underwear model. I had no <laughs> idea. I just thought he was an underwear model. it's football, not soccer. Please, football. So, hey, a story that's in the uh, news right now, Andre Iguodala, the uh, Golden State Warriors star power forward, he's going to be out for game one. He had a perineal nerve injury. And so your perineal nerve is a nerve that runs around the back of your knee fair. So remember, you got nerves that run out of your back. They uh, become big nerves in your rear end that then separate into different nerves that run down into your leg. And your sciatic nerve, which you've heard of in your rear end, by the way, we haven't talked about your sciatic nerve injury yet. But we will. We'll, I, I think it's something else. Yeah. Well, you, you can diagnose from afar. So your perineal nerve runs down the – after it separates off of your, uh, your sciatic nerve, becomes your tibial nerve and your perineal nerve. Your perineal nerve runs down the back of your leg. Oh, I forgot we got to go at 50. So, hey, I've got a short break. When we come back after a Shannon Box interview, which I have shortly, we'll have to catch it on the next side of Docs and Jocks. I'll explain what's going on with Andre Iguodala when we come back. And me. With more Docs and Jocks and Fair Spotter. We'll be right back. I recently saw a sports quote on Twitter that said, Your biggest opponent is the one in the mirror. I couldn't agree with this statement more. Over the years, as I've worked with athletes of every level, I have noticed almost without exception that the athlete is his own biggest enemy. The negative self-talk that goes on in most athletes' heads is unfortunately very common. When we help an athlete become aware of this self-talk, we then ask him a very important question. Would you speak to your teammates this way? Every time, the answer is emphatic, no. We then ask the athlete why it's okay for him to speak to himself that way. It is amazing what can change for the athlete in his performance when he begins to change his internal dialogue. Just speaking to himself in a positive and encouraging manner internally instead of negative and self-defeating dialogue can completely change the athlete's game. Here at the Edge Mental Strength Training, we work with athletes to change this internal dynamic and help them reach their full potential. If you or an athlete you know would like to learn more about this, you can contact us by clicking on our link at docsandjocks.com. This has been your Mental Strength Minute. You're listening to Docs and Jocks, brought to you in part by Joe Walker State Farm Insurance, Visual Edge, and Texas Sport and Spine. Touchdown. Now back to more Docs and Jocks with Dr. Dan and Ferris. Hey, welcome back to Docs and Jocks. It's your sports medicine radio show. My name is Dr. Dan, along with my co-host, Ferris Potter. Hey, I want to say thank you to all our wonderful listeners out there who have, uh, man, helped us grow one of our fastest-growing podcasts, Docs and Jocks. D-O-X-N-J-O-X, man, great having you on, not only on our radio stations in uh, your listening area, but also on our podcast, man. Thank you for doing that. Hey, Ferris, uh, he's out at the uh, sports broadcast for Grand Canyon University. Give us a quick update on what's going on at uh, Grand Canyon University. And, man, I know baseball season just came to an end, but anything else going on right now? Well, you know, it's, uh, I mean, everything's, it's kind of a, a quiet time right now. Yeah. Everything is kind of uh, dormant for now. I mean, the seasons are over. I mean, the coaches aren't dormant. They get some yeah, time no. off. There's some, yeah. there's some dark periods, you know, or some, some periods where they can't go out and recruit, but they're on the recruiting trail uh, for all their different sports. And, you know, Coach Stankiewicz is actually, I believe he's in Oklahoma because his daughter is on the ASU softball team. She's a senior, and they're in the College World Series. They oh, lost wow. their first game. Oh, wow. But, um yeah, they're in the College World Series, so I think he's out there as a parent, and he you know, obviously told me, he said, he gets a lot more nervous when he's in the stands watching his kids play than when he's in the dugout watching his team play. So they're out there in Oklahoma, one of the, one of the last eight standing, I think four of the eight are Pac-12 teams in the, in the softball. So That's awesome. Pretty good showing for the West. Hey, speaking of nervous, uh, Sergio uh, Chacon, who's doing, our, uh, you know, doing my board right now, operating the board in there, 
we just had that interview with Shannon Box, and uh, he, he got really nervous. He almost uh, forgot to do lots of things back there he's supposed to do because he got so he got big time with Shannon Box, one of the greatest soccer players of all time. Sergio's a huge soccer fan, so pretty cool. Yeah, she's legit. I, I love her her story. Not only you know the battling the the illness now and how that affected her, how she played through it. That's amazing. I know. To yeah, play through that. Yeah, I wish but, we, we could almost did a whole segment on just her overcoming yeah. lupus. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, just her story of, I mean, a single mom, uh, her and her sister competing with one another, sister, an Olympic athlete, just, yeah. you know, realized she was really good at something, but loved it too, and just put in the time and effort and dedication. I, I love her story too, about how she played so free at the trial because they told her, you're going to come, but you're never going to make the team. She's <laughs> yeah. like, all right, what the heck? What I'll just let it go. fly. Let's do and it. And so it just goes to show you if you can get, I mean, Tracy Mutton just said, if you can get out of your own way yeah. and allow your ability to go through, but that's the hardest thing to do. Oh, and she, my gosh. it was a gift to her that they said, hey, you're not good enough to be on this team, but we just want to have you come out. She's it was like, interesting, right. too. Right at the end of that, too, Fair, she goes, the next time I tried out for the team when I was supposed to be on it, I was nervous. Did you catch her? Did you catch yeah. that? Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. when they told me that I wasn't going to make it, I was like, okay, let's just go. Let's do this thing. Let's go crazy. And she did crazy. And then the next time after that, she uh, she was. She said I was nervous because I was supposed to make the team. So pretty cool how your mind can control so many different things. And, and if you get out of your own way, man, you can go a long ways for sure. So yeah, really cool interview. Hey, if you ever miss an interview like the one we just had with Shannon Box, you can go back and listen to that at docsandjocks.com, D-O-X-N-J-O-X.com. And, uh, man, we'd love to have you be uh, part of our show, even if it goes back and listen to previous shows. We put all those up there on docsandjocks.com as well as on our iTunes podcast, Docs and Jocks, just so you uh, get uh, the ability to listen to our show anytime, anywhere. I'm a big podcast listener. I know you are, Ferris. And uh, so for me, like when I travel, we do a lot of traveling with different uh, youth events. I take my sons and daughters over the years to volleyball, and now we're doing baseball. And that's a great time for me to actually have some education. I love listening to different podcasts that teach me different things about some topic I don't know. And in this case, you'd be listening to Docs and Jocks because maybe you haven't heard of some different sports medicine uh, injury or the angles of the different sports medicine injuries. And we'd love to have you part of our show and doing that. But I really find when I get a couple of free hours of time and you and I are busy parents, we both have kids that are going all kinds of different directions. When I get those couple hours of travel or time alone, I love listening to podcasts. What are your, some of your favorite, favorite ones again, Ferris? Uh, well, I listen to the, the Tim Ferriss podcast quite a bit. Um, and, uh, the other one I like is, um, Docs and Jocks podcast. I like that one a lot. And, um, I also listen to a new one called a uh, bigger pockets. It's about real estate investing and stuff. Oh yeah. They're just kind of more inspirational guys and it's a fun podcast. They have a good time and they talk to some people with some great stories and stuff, but, yeah. uh, I try to move around. I'll find, you know, if I find somebody interesting, I listen to one as we were prepping for the interview with Shannon box, I listened to a couple that she did, you yeah. know, because you can get a lot of great information on those. It's another, more fun than, to me than just like Googling and reading a story. You know, yeah. like, it's kind of fun to hear the interaction. You know, another really fun one that has little short snippets is uh, Mike Rowe, who did Dirty Jobs for so many years. He does one yeah. called uh, That's How I Heard It or That's What I Heard or something to that effect. But you can go ahead. And it's little short little stories about like we're t- while you're talking about inspirational stories. It might be about any different topic. So pretty cool. To yeah, he was well. doing that like as a nod to the old Paul Harvey, you yeah, know, that's, yeah. uh, you know, yeah. that's the rest of the story. It's kind of similar done it like is. that. Mike's really good. Mike's got, I tell you that what, if you want to listen to, um, yeah, this, just like, you know, to be a worker, to be the like blue collar jobs and stuff. He's got yeah. some great podcasts. He does. Absolutely. Hey, let's talk about a couple other uh, stories in the news right now. Uh, we heard, uh, I just mentioned uh, before that Shannon Box interview, that Andre Iguodala, the Golden State Warriors uh, power forward, he was out game one with a perineal nerve injury. Your perineal nerve 
is where your sciatic nerve, remember that big nerve that runs in your rear end called your sciatic nerve, it runs down the back of your leg and it splits off into your perineal nerve and your tibial nerve. Perineal nerve runs down the back of your knee and then runs over around the bone on the side of your upper leg, upper lower leg. So, you know, if you, if you go right below your knee on the outside of your knee, you'll feel that bumpy bone over there. That's called your fibular head. And your perineal nerve runs just, just right below that and comes around and feeds the muscles in the front of your lower leg. So somewhere along the way, he bruised that. And when he bruised that nerve, uh, he has, it can stun the nerve. We have, we've seen it with, uh, who was the Cowboys uh, linebacker? Jalen Smith, I believe, that had that same injury to his perineal nerve after having a surgery done. Uh, he, and he had to have wear a brace called an ankle foot orthosis on his foot that allowed his foot to stay in place so it wouldn't flop. Because remember, if the muscles in the front of your lower leg don't work, you can't pull your foot up towards your body. So that's And when you walk, you'll slap that foot. It'll be a foot slap or a foot drop. And so Andre Iguodala had, had that injury, and so he's been out for game one. They say he may even be out for game two now. So maybe a little bit more uh, severe of a nerve injury than originally thought. So... Any nerve that lives close to bones and is close to the surface is at risk to get injured. You've done it probably fair so you bumped your funny bone. Your funny bone is yeah. not a bone. Your funny bone is a nerve called your ulnar nerve, and it lives in that ulnar groove at your elbow, and it's not got a lot of protection to it. So that's why you can bump it, and you get the zinger, and you can injure it bad enough to give yourself nerve damage. Same with your perineal nerve in your side of your lower leg. You, Ferris, are dealing with a nerve injury right now after uh, exercising. Let's go ahead and talk about that injury. Yeah, I, I, I've been dealing with some like pain down my right leg, um, down to about the knee level a lot. I, and, um, I thought it was maybe a sciatic nerve type of thing. I haven't really gone to the doctor cause I don't do that, but I've done like the chiropractor and stuff and he's kind of, kind of popped me around and stuff and said, now there's that shouldn't be anything down lower back issue there. And then my wife, who's a, a, a DO by trade, you know, she was like, oh, it's kind of sounds like piriformis syndrome possibly. And so we kind of looked it up and did our own little diagnosis. And so I've been uh, treating it at home like piriformis syndrome by doing a, a, a stretch, they tell you to do, yeah. and then doing some like side leg lifts and things like that to strengthen stuff. And it feels a lot better. My problem is I sit a lot, like driving yeah. a lot, you know, and it, and it, and it reactivates it and aggravates it a little bit. But yeah, I noticed it. After doing um, after doing some uh, P90X moves, the uh, plyo and then the 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 lifting one one week, yeah. and I just noticed that right hip and buttock area was was just didn't feel right, and then it kind of radiates down the leg a little yeah. bit when I when I sit around a lot. Yeah, so so I don't diagnose me based on that. Yeah. are we right? Is it sciatic? What is it? I'm never gonna say your wife was wrong because you're never gonna tell me my wife's wrong. So no, your wife's always right. Whatever she said. Well, your wife's never yes. been wrong. So that's true. Your wife has never been wrong either. So see, that's why we're yeah. such good friends. But sciatic when people they make say questionable decisions about who they marry, <laughs> but they've never been wrong. Yeah, they that's right. Yeah, the, no, the questionable one would be Caitlin Hawk, our producer's wife. But anyway, let's. I, I digress. No, that might have been just straight wrong. <laughs> so when you injure, when people use the term. I injured my sciatic nerve or I have sciatica. Let's just talk about that for just a second. Layman okay. used that term to represent or mean that it, you have pain in your down your leg, right? So it can be sciatic nerve injury. It can be that injury. But by far the most common reason pain radiates down the down your leg is you get a pinched nerve in your back. And that nerve in your back has not yet become your sciatic nerve. That's a, we call it a lumbar nerve root. So, and we name those nerve roots for which which level 
they are injured at. So L1, L2, L3, L4, L5, S1. There's different nerves in your back that can get pinched. So that's the most common reason people have pain down the back of their leg that they call sciatica or my sciatic nerve. You can injure your true sciatic nerve, which, by the way, runs right in the fleshy part of your rear end by sitting too long or getting shot there or kicked there or if you do a job where you you know, stretch a certain way all the time. You can injure sciatic nerve at your level of your piriformis muscle, and that's why they call it piriformis syndrome because the muscle runs across your sciatic nerve. The fleshy stuff that you feel in your rear end you know, where your sciatic nerve lives is your gluteal muscles, and one of those muscles is called your piriformis muscle. So the piriformis muscle can stretch and cause a compression of the sciatic nerve in your rear end, and in your case, give you a piriformis syndrome or a sciatic nerve injury, appropriately in your case, referred to as sciatica. So I just want to clear up the confusion about the term, I felt like it was my sciatic nerve, because most of the time when people refer to that, it's a pinched nerve in their back that's going down the back of their leg, not the sciatic nerve injured in the rear end. But in your case, it actually sounds like it probably is your sciatic nerve. Hurts in your buttock. You sit a lot driving. Pain down the back of your leg. Feels better when you do stretching. Those things all go. So away. that's so that's how do you how do you tell like somebody's yeah. out there they have the same type of thing. You just go make a doctor's appointment. Go in. Do you need an MRI? Do they manipulate the area Sometimes, and see what it you know, feels you like? Need, and yeah, you go see your doctor. He'll do an exam on you. A sciatic nerve injury when you palpate the sciatic nerve in the rear end typically reproduces their typical pain. If a person has a back injury, typically when you palpate their back and push on the levels in their back, it reproduces some pain in their back. Most people have a pinched nerve in their back, have some back pain. It's kind of rare to have only leg pain and no back pain. I see it occasionally and still have a pinched nerve in your back. But most of the time when it's pinched in your back, you'll have back pain that radiates and starts in your back and goes down the leg. When you stretch a nerve, what I call a sciatic uh, straight leg raise test, you bring their leg up, most of the time you're reproducing their pain and they can trace it back to where it starts, whether it's their back or their rear end where it starts at. There's different ways, different exams that you do, physical exams, that'll help you figure that out along the way. If you're not sure, sometimes I get an MRI in the lower back most commonly to see if you have a disc herniation pushing on a nerve. So, you know, there's there's all those different things fall into place as far as trying to help you figure out whether or not it's a back injury or a, or a sciatic nerve injury in your rear end. But if you just have to say what is the percentage of them, much, much, probably in the 95th to 98th percentile pinch nerve in your back as compared to a sciatic nerve injury in your rear end. But in your case, you could fall into that small category because it does sound like it, just based on your story. That help? Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah. I mean, the stretching does help a little bit when I'm not sitting, driving a lot. When I'm standing more, it, it does definitely help. But I still have kind of that that pain in the right leg a, a little bit. It gets better at times. But yeah. Hey, hmm. interesting. Let me use our last few minutes here. We just have a few minutes here on Docs and Jocks. Man, it always goes by so fast. Man, we're so glad you're a listener here this on our Sports Medicine Radio Show. But let me just go, go through, because I do this all day long. Every, every Friday morning I see patients before I come in to do the show in the afternoon, and then we, it usually plays on Saturdays in our listening audience. But I see patients, and I come here, and every time I see patients, I'm like, okay, I'm going to talk about it on the air today. And you and I talk <laughs> about a lot, Ferris, but it is, it is so important. If you want to have a good quality of life, especially as you age, so 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, you have to be strong. And I'm not talking about where you got to be a bodybuilder strong and you got to be a super athlete, but you have to be strong. The reason I say that is I see patients come in all the time. I saw so many this morning. I saw several this morning. Their hips hurt them. Their knees hurt them. Their ankles hurt them. And they're trying to say, okay, what's wrong with my knee? What's wrong with my hip? What's wrong with my ankle? When in, a, in an essence, they're so weak in life 
that they can't do simple activities that have enough muscular support around them without having pain. When you are a person that cannot do a one-legged squat, in other words, stand on one leg and squat down and, and come straight back up, if you don't have the strength to do that, you're, you're putting so much stress on your hips, your knees, your ankles, and your back that you are going to have a very difficult time doing simple activities of life without having pain. So if I can say anything to all your listeners out there, I know we our listening audience ranges from all different age groups. But if you're an age group and you are an athlete or you are not an athlete, if you want to age well, start doing strengthening exercises routinely. And what I mean by that, exercises that make you a little sore the next day, that involve some type of resistance training, whether it's against your own body weight, you're using your body weight to do lift things, well, that's uh, lifting weights to do it. But you've got to do some type of resistance training. And walking is not a strengthening program. I ask people all the time, are you doing any type of strengthening program? They say, yes, I'm walking. Walking is an aerobic activity. It increases your heart rate. It's good. Your, your cardiologist will love you for it. But it, in my world, I'm not saying don't walk. I'm just saying if you want to have a good quality of life, you have to do strengthening. And walking is not a strengthening program. So start with walking, but add in some good strengthening. And by the way, if you, if you are so far behind the eight ball that you have a very difficult time starting the program, get with a physical therapist. Get with a personal trainer. Get with a strength and conditioning coach. Find someone that who's in the field, whether sports medicine doctor, athletic trainer, whatever it is, and get you started in something. And that may be at the Forge Abilene here if you're in our listening audience. So go to theforgeabilene.com, and there you can find out how to start doing some strengthening exercises. And uh, we'd love to have you. But whatever it is, start somewhere. Ferris loves to do exercise at home. P90X, Manny does strengthening, cardio, both of them. Awesome. Find out what the exercise is that you like to do and start there and do it. All right. There's my soapbox. I like it. I was actually lifting 500 pounds as a deadlift, and that's how <laughs> you I did hurt it. my. That's how you did yeah, it. Well, yeah. stop doing that. It's my dude. personal best. Well, it's a I, lot I of medical brag, school to tell you stop doing done. that. Hey, yeah, from all of us here on Docs and Jocks, myself, Dr. Dan, as well as Ferris, man, we want to say thank you to all our great listeners. Couldn't have our show without our great listeners. Remember, go subscribe to our podcast, Docs and Jocks, D-O-X and J-O-X. Love to be part of our show that way as well. From all of us here, so long. Have a great week. Find out the exercise you will do and do it.